Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. My name is Aaron Laxton. I'm alongside with Robert Brining. And this is Pause I Am, your 90-minute dose of hope, brought to you each Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we bring the latest in gossip, celebrity news, policy, and legislation, among other things. We have an amazing show lined up for you tonight. We invite you to be a part of the conversation by calling in to 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. You may also follow along on social media, Facebook and Twitter, or at pausim.org and participate in the chat that will go on throughout the duration of this program. So sit down and buckle up and enjoy the show. Your 90-minute dose of hope starts now. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this 2014 edition of Pause I Am Radio. Hey, Aaron, how are you? I am cold. That's how I am. We we have been uh, having a brutal winter storm um, that dumped, in some places, up to 14 inches of snow uh, on us today. So we we uh, we are dealing with that right now. Wow. Well, that's a good way to ring in the new year. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy New Year to you. That was your holiday. It was it was very well. I spent it with family and loved ones and you know friends. It was it was good times. How about yours? It was good. It was uh, uneventful. You know, low key. I think low key is a good way to do everything, and uh, you know, a time to be thankful and uh, spend it with um, you know chosen family and and friends. So yeah, it was it was. I can't complain. I cannot complain. And those of you who are listening for the first time um, this evening to the show, uh, Aaron is actually in St. Louis and I'm in Philadelphia, so that is why, um, you know, we're talking about different, uh, I guess, you know, holidays and, and weather, because we actually got snow here uh, two days ago. Um, we got about eight inches here in Philly, and I had to drive in it, and I'll tell you, dude, it was really scary driving on 95, you know. I usually drive about, you know, 70, 65 miles an hour on there when I go to work in the morning anyway because nobody's on the road at 5 a.m. And it was horrible. I mean, it was a sheet of ice. It was all snow. It was like a three-lane highway that went down to one lane. And at one point, this guy who was in a truck thought he was hot shit and could just do whatever he wanted because he had a big car, um, ended up sliding towards me. And I had the initial reaction to kind of jerk the wheel, and I actually slid into the guardrail on 95, uh, banged my head up, but I made it to work on time. <laughs> anyway, um, there was That's no crazy. real damage. There was no real damage to the car or anything. But I mean, the weather is crazy. Like if you don't have to go out, don't go out. <laughs> Especially if you're getting 14 inches. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean here in uh, here in St. Louis and, and most of Missouri, um, we the everything shut down um, today. Over 500 civic and community organizations shut, um, shut down. Tomorrow, the county and, and city governments shut down. Only essential business is occurring. Uh, so, and, and tonight we have the wind chills dipping into um, 35 below zero uh, with the wind chills. So, 
Um, and we'll be like that for for about 36 hours. So we have wind chill, um, you know, warnings and stuff in effect tonight. That you know, trying to get everybody out of the cold. You know, I do a lot of work with the the homeless. Um, so trying to make sure everybody has homes and pets are not outside and all that stuff. Oh, you're such a good person. You know, I try. I try. I, you, know, you are. What What can I say? <laughs> so I know that you've missed hot topics. I, I mean, I've who missed hasn't missed hot topics? So while we've been on vacay, vacay, I, I want to use a little hipster term there, uh, while we've been on vacay, there's been some uh, some cool stuff that's kind of happened. I, I don't know if it's necessarily cool, but it is what it is. Um, do you want to play my founder? Yes, absolutely. We'll be uh, right back in a sec. You are hotness. Work that bod. Oh, my God. Work that bond. Work it. Now do a little turn. You're doing great. You're a tiger. Oh, you're really an elephant. But I'm not going to tell you that. Oh, that cracks me up that. every time I hear it. Even in the new year. You know, when I first heard that, when it first came on in the beginning, you heard that. Right, and I thought it was all going to be like the news broadcast or something, <laughs> and then it goes on to like, girl. <laughs> hey, that it, I mean, it's just it's me. So we have a couple stories that are um, they they really made headlines while we we're off the air. Um, one, which is a positive note, um, and that the new life expectancy for those who contract HIV. Um, is now 77 years old, or 77 years. And that's for people that are in North America who are diagnosed, you know. So let's say a person is diagnosed around age 20. Now with the current therapies and current medications that we have, the life expectancy for them would be about 77 years. And that's up from um, 49 um, and 58. now, there wasn't any real change for IV drug users, um, and also um, people of color lag behind, and there, there's several reasons for that, mostly because uh, there's such an issue in getting people retained to care um, and getting them diagnosed. So that's why it's so important for um, people uh, that are, you know, maybe there's a listeners out there who are living with HIV, but they've said, oh, you know, uh, I don't want to go on medication yet. I can't say it enough. Um, it's far easier to keep a person healthy um, by starting medication early, and now the CDC recommends that. Um, each person starts medication as soon as they're diagnosed. Used to, a person would wait until their CD4 would drop. Um, now, new science tells us that that's not the best thing to do. So if you're out there and you've been considering starting medication, um, I would say do so as soon as possible. Um, and that's funny because I remember when I when I was you know diagnosed and I started questioning about starting meds or not starting meds and you know having that conversation with my doctor uh, for the first time. It was kind of like a mixed bowl, but that was I, I mean that was back in I want to say 2000, 
probably like nine was when I started, maybe 2010, 2010. Um, but like it was always don't, it was, it was up to me. You know what I mean? Like the doctors seemed to say like, well, we can't really recommend what to say because I guess they didn't, they didn't, I don't know. I guess I didn't have the best of doctors who, who kind of went through the guideline. But once I moved to the second place, um, that was actually my real, you know, is my doctor still now the same place that I go to, the infectious disease and the specialist that, you know, um, there's more of, um, I guess they, they actually follow what the CDC says. So I think it's important that we go to specialists and not family doctors because I was in the impression that I could go to my family doctor and deal with this. And, you know, he was feeding me a bunch of things that he wasn't sure of. So it's important that we do go to specialists, you know, for this and get hooked up in the care. I'm sorry, I kind of went off. <laughs> Yeah, very much. No, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm spoiled because my general practitioner is an, an infectious disease doc, so I kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, so, yeah, but if, you know, listeners have questions, you know, I definitely say encourage them, you know, to, to message us, send us an email or, or contact us and, and let us talk through some of those issues or concerns. Um, Peter Staley, who we've had on the show here um, several times, or uh, not too long ago, um, he wrote an article about paying people um, to end AIDS. And this is an interesting concept, um, you know, encouraging, you know, is there is there room in the field for us to pay people or incentivize people to seek treatment or to engage in prevention methods? Some would say, that's absurd. You shouldn't have to pay someone to take care of themselves. While other people say, well, let's think outside the box. Anything that we can do, let's try it. So I see both yeah. sides. I mean, you know. That's one of those things that a lot of, you know, when I speak to a lot of activists, they talk about incentives and how they will kind of use, I know like down in Philly, they do testing and they will go into the bars, like they'll go into Woody's and they will actually tell people, look, you know, if you come and get tested, we'll give you uh, free drink tickets or we'll give you, you know, a token. And some people just come for the token, and that's the problem they have is that people are just coming to get the token and not necessarily there to get their stats because they never come back for the results. Right. It's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's like a double-edged sword, I guess. It, it, It helps to get people to know their status if they actually want to know. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen studies, uh, especially when I start thinking about PrEP, that have been completely wrecked by incentivizing them. I'm thinking of the um, the partner study in Africa that basically we had to close because it wasn't effective. But you couldn't blame the participants because they were getting more from incentives for participating than many of them would make their entire year. So... You know, there's there's pros and cons. Um, did you watch the Rose Bowl? Um, I can't say that I did, but I heard about the controversy. So <laughs> bring it on, girl. Because I I, I so, it on Facebook and I shared it on Facebook, and then there was a conversation that started, and I don't know. Go ahead, I'll be the voice. Yeah, you know. Voice. I, <laughs> you know, our friends over at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Um, I use that term very loosely. Um, uh, they decided they were going to sponsor a float um, in the Rose Parade, um, and it was uh, the title of it was "Living the Dream." Um, 
And uh, the problem was, uh, and, and on this float, several um, uh, lesbian and gay couples um, got married because marriage is now legal in California. Um, but basically what the, the float was saying, that love is the best protection. Um, and so on face value, this may not look like an issue for most people. For advocates and community activists, this is a huge issue because, one, could this money not have been better spent somewhere else? And two, you know, love is not the best protection. Um, you know, we have other tools such as PrEP, um, you know, risk reduction strategies, other things that truly is the best protection. Um, and so love, uh, <laughs> that, you know, it's just, I think it's just one more, uh, uh, you know, so here's Hello, a question that, for you. Let me let me be let me play devil devil's advocate or or, or let's pose, you know, uh, maybe a logical thought on that. Do you think maybe when they said love, they didn't necessarily mean love? They maybe meant like not being promiscuous, not having multiple partners. You know, like like maybe like love as in that. As I don't know, like I well, just yeah, wonder but why. Isn't that could that not be seen as like slut shaming or or you know judgment? And um, if it is, then you know we can't. As long as we judge people, right, and we try to judge them by our own moral lens, um, we'll never truly be able to reach them. And this has been a huge problem of AHF um, in the past. Uh, you know and not just AHF, a lot of different people. Um, and that, you know, if you do not go along the lines of whatever we say, so if you're out there having lots of sex, you obviously may be deserving of whatever you contract. Or you might, you know, if you get HIV, you get HIV. That's You had it coming, right? Well, so, I don't know. I, go ahead. I mean, I see it both ways. I mean, I, I just think that, like, the be, you know, it's, I don't think it's necessarily, like, slut-shaming or, or judging. I just think maybe that they're, the message is more of, you know, just not, have not, just not having, you know, sex like crazy is the best protection. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe just love. Hey, love. I'm all maybe for. Maybe love conquers all. Love heals everything. Maybe that was their message, and maybe they thought that, you know. Hey, least, hey, I'm all for having talking, love as much as possible. We're talking about it. That's the thing. is, It's being talked about. HIV is still in the conversation. You know, it's still something that's talked about. So at the end of the day, I don't know. Yeah. It's still, it's still and, and so I, I also wanted to do a, um, a plug. Many who've read my articles know, obviously, that I'm HIV positive. Um, but I also no don't talk a lot. I know, right? I, I do have it. Um, um <laughs> Um, I don't often talk about uh, my partner, um, and that's something I've consciously done, you know, because my life is an open book. Um, but recently, uh, Philip decided that he was going to go on prep. Um, you know, we kind of talked about it, and that was a, a, something he had decided. And so he's documenting his journey on prep. And so for those of you who would like to check it out or, or – uh, read his journey, it's um, let's talk about prep.blogspot.com. 
I'll share the link on the um, Facebook. And um, you know, it, it's I think it's very courageous for him to do that. It, obviously, anytime someone tells their story, it helps other people who might be going through similar circumstances. And you know, so yeah, that's what's been going on in our world. Speaking about sharing stories, we have an amazing guest coming up, um, a gentleman who uh, I believe we crossed paths through Facebook, I'm almost positive, um, uh, Rob Quinn. Uh, he runs uh, the blog OpenlyPause.com. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. He's an awesome guy. He has uh, an amazing story of before and after his HIV and how he was able to overcome, you know, struggles and, and barriers that, you know, actually Aaron, me and you, are parallel in some of the struggles that he's dealt with. So I think it'll be great to uh, have him come on. And we have some uh, great guests coming up uh, in the rest of the month. So let's uh, take a quick little break. And then when we come back, we will um, bring on Rob Quinn. So we'll be right. I'm looking for something to play. (laughs) Uh, There we go. Here's your cappuccino, Miss. Great, thanks. Coffee with cream? Look. Almost half of all new STD infections are among young people 15 to 24 years old. Yet most infections have no symptoms. The only way to know for sure is to be tested. So GYT, get yourself tested. Visit GYTnow.org to find an STD testing location near you. A message from CDC. Yo, it's your boy Lil John right here. Hey, it's your boy Lil Bo. On a serious note, this your boy Big Sam. Lil John and me, side boys. We here for life, beat the music industry fights AIDS. Listen up, drinking and drugs make people do stupid things, like not protecting themselves when having sex. You might think it's all good, but it only takes one slip up to get infected with HIV. Don't become another statistic. Use protection. To learn more about HIV and AIDS, call the National AIDS Hotline at one 800 342 AIDS or log on to www.lifebeat.org. <laughs> there you have it. I love the little John one. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> I think John? it's the toss up between him and Brittany are, are, are my two favorites. <laughs> I know. I love Brittany. Uh, it's awesome. So um, you are back live here, Positive Radio, Robert and Aaron. We're about to bring on our guest this evening. Um, if you're interested in calling into the show at any point for uh, questions or to make a comment, uh, for Rob or ourselves, you can reach us here at 347-215-9442. Uh, you can also listen to the show by calling that number as well. Please help me welcome our guest, uh, Rob Quinn, to the show. Welcome, Rob. How are you? Hey, great, great. Thank you so much for having me, Robert and Aaron. Happy 2014. Appreciate this opportunity a lot. Hey, welcome. So, uh, Rob, we, we actually met through Facebook, right? That's where we, we first connect it yeah yeah absolutely we crossed paths through facebook last summer i believe yeah it's, it's amazing you know social media has really taken over storm of the way that you know this generation is communicating and, and now you know doing activism work and it's it's amazing to see you know people pop up you know that i've never seen before so it was like a, a breath of fresh air to go to your website and to to read something about somebody new, who, a story that I haven't read before, because a lot of times we kind of come across the same people, and it's, it's refreshing, I think, to, to have a new face or, you know, not necessarily new, because how long have you been involved? Um, just Well, I've been working in HIV-AIDS since the early 90s. I originally worked in pediatrics in New York City, 
um, with children and families with HIV AIDS and most recently was on the uh, Board of Trustees at the AIDS Foundation of Western Mass in Springfield and as of September 1 was appointed to a three-year term on the Statewide Consumer Advisory Board, Mass Department of Public Health, Office of HIV AIDS. So um, probably at least 20, 25 years. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. I, I, but, uh, you know, but the blog is new, all, right? Uh, the blog is new, yes. I just launched it in okay. November 2012. Um, I've been living with HIV since 1993 with an AIDS diagnosis since 1999. You know, we didn't have this social media. Um, early on when I was diagnosed, we have these opportunities for peer networking, peer support. So I really appreciate your site and what both of you are doing and, and have been able to connect and uh, gain some support from some incredible people from all over the world. Well, I think what you're doing is incredible as well. So take us, take us back to um, what your life was before you were diagnosed. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, living and working in New York City in the early 90s. I was um, pretty much, pretty much um, of an athletic athlete, ran the New York City Marathon in 1989, used to walk back and forth to work. And that summer of 1993, more early fall, I just noticed that I was kind of fatiguing on my way to work, which was only about a mile. And it just seems kind of out of the ordinary. So I made an appointment with my primary, um, who happened to also be my later my uh, HIV doctor, and, you know, he just wanted to do a battery of tests and asked me if I wanted to have an HIV test. And I was like, yeah, of course, but I'm a huge advocate of HIV testing and knowing your status. Um, and I wasn't really too concerned about the test because I had been tested six months earlier and it was negative. However, in the back of my mind, I knew that I had had unprotected sex and high-risk behavior, so there was that possibility. Um, back then, we didn't have rapid HIV testing. We only had the conventional serum, has serum, serum blood test, so that was like a 10-day waiting period, which was the longest 10 days of my life. Walking, I remember walking down to his office down Central Park and, you know, just thinking, this, this is cool. Well, it'll be fine. We'll be good. And then he delivered the diagnosis that I was HIV positive, and the world just stopped at that particular moment in time. Um, you know, I got out of his office, kind of swallowed what he had to say, and Pretty much from that moment out of his office walking home, I just, and I still do feel like this, that I don't live with HIV. HIV lives with me. It's just one small part of me. Um, and I have what I uh, frequently tell people I have OCD, but it's not your typical OCD. For me, OCD is the type of attitude I have, which is um, optimistic, confident, and determined. And, you know, I just happen to have an amazing support system led by my mom and some really great friends. So I was doing really great for like the first six or seven, you know, first six years. Back then in 93, people diagnosed with HIV were given a life expectancy of about six or seven years, according to the CDC. So the summer of 99, I was at the beach, my favorite place, had this kind of lump on the back of my head. And I was just like, oh, you know, it's just a mosquito bite. It's cool. It's fine. I didn't pay attention to it. You know, a couple of weeks went by and this one kept getting bigger and bigger. So I went to my primary, my HIV doctor, and he thought that I should have a biopsy. Um, long story short, it turns out that it was Kaposi sarcoma, um, which, again, my world was just shattered. Um, I was okay, with, which meant that I now had an AIDS diagnosis. I was okay saying that, you know, I was HIV positive, and I just was not okay saying that I had AIDS. Um, we didn't have the treatments right. back then that we have now, so... 
as a result of that, I had to go out of work on a medical disability. Um, I'm sure there are other people who can identify with this. Um, I lost my sense of professional identity, which is a huge part of oneself. Um, all of a sudden, I had all this free time on my hands. Um, I didn't have structure. I didn't have a routine. I didn't have any accountability. Um, somehow made my way into the world of drugs and alcohol, pretty much the drug scene in New York City at the time, and started off as what I call as, you know, a social kind of recreational user, became a weekend warrior, and then became a full-blown addict. Um, struggled with that. 9-11 happened. Um, I was dealing with AIDS. It was year six of seven, in the middle of my chemo for the sarcoma. I had a heart attack. My dad had a heart attack when he was 40. So put all those things together, year six of seven, had a heart attack. Um, I decided to, my health was failing. I decided to move from New York City back to my hometown, Springfield, Massachusetts. Really at that time was pretty much to die because I didn't want to die alone in New York. I wanted to be around my family. Um, got here, simply did didn't have access to the financial resources to um, what I was doing in New York City in terms of the addiction problem. So I simply did an addiction transfer to alcohol, subsequently gained 70-plus pounds from having a sedentary lifestyle, lost my will to live, um, had a failed suicide attempt, and just kind of was existing, just kind of existing. Um, seeing my primary in 2007, she referred me to a nutritionist, Nancy Bell, in our area. And in one of my appointments with her, she said to me something along the lines that I needed accountability in my life. And I knew at that moment that she was not just talking about my nutrition, but she was talking about my life. And that was the beginning of my resiliency, the beginning of my reinventing myself, the beginning of moving forward. Um, so from there on in, I subsequently lost the 70 pounds with hard work, um, got myself back in shape, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually, and um, started getting more and more involved with HIV in my local community and now on a state level. And my life story is, is more than just dealing with HIV and AIDS. It's, it's one of overcoming struggles and hurdles. And I really do believe that we can all learn from those hurdles and grow from those hurdles when we learn to see them differently. So that's, you know, that's a little bit where I'm at right now. Rob, you had mentioned something earlier that, you know, I, I think we oftentimes do not talk about. Um, I've had people tell me before, uh, you know, I, I've been living with HIV since um, uh, June 6th of 2011, and I've had people on occasion, you know, confuse HIV and AIDS. And you, you, you'd mentioned that you were not ready for that AIDS diagnosis. And, and it's very interesting when we start talking about stigma that it somehow has become acceptable to be HIV positive, but, you know, to have that AIDS diagnosis that even living with HIV, you know, I've corrected people and say, I, I don't have AIDS, I have HIV. Um, right. So it's interesting that you say that, that, that we even fight that stigma internally um, mm. as people living with HIV that, you know, I always tell people, if you want to know what stigma is, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. We stick very different. Right. Two very different diagnoses, two very different journeys. The, the, the challenge for me with the AIDS diagnosis still to this day is that once you have an AIDS diagnosis, you have it forever. 
the CDC hasn't kind of caught up. I mean, I have had an undetectable viral load for many, many years. Um, I have a CD4 count upwards of almost 600, low 600s. You know, everything has been stable. So on paper, I have an AIDS diagnosis. So I had to kind of bridge that gap emotionally in my head to, you know, to kind of have to learn to deal with that. So 2007, uh, yeah. you you had this this encounter with uh, the, the tr- nutritionist um, or, or this physician, and and that's when this epiphany kind of occurs. Um, so what was what did you? I mean, at that point when you when it kind of clicked, what what steps did you have to do then? I have what, what I call, I call my Rob's four R's or out of the fourth power, which are the principles that I, when I'm approaching a hurdle, because on our life's journey, we're going to constantly, you know, come to come into a, a situation with a hurdle. You know, you'll be smooth sailing, you'll get through one hurdle, and then bam, you get another one. And I really learned from hitting, hitting rock bottom that first time that, all of a sudden I realized that these four R's or out of the fourth power was really what was going to get me through every kind of situation I had to. And out of the fourth power for me is rock bottom, recovery, resilience, and reinvention. And, you know, the rock bottom is that feeling of despair, of defeat, of giving up, that I just can't do this anymore. You know, and I'm sure that people can relate to that on many levels, not just people living with HIV, but people who experience loss, um, or, or different situations. So I kind of hit that rock bottom. Um, and then the next step for me was, was a readiness. Um, you know, until we're ready to, in, in my opinion, until we're ready to um, tackle uh, whatever crisis or situation we're, heading, we're, we're trying to deal with head on and readiness, then to me it's gonna, it, it was a failure for me. I mean, I relapsed once. Um, because I wasn't really ready at the time. So once I hit rock bottom, then there's this readiness where I really had to be accountable, accountable for my own actions and take ownership for them. Um, and then there's this, was the recovery part of the journey. And for me, recovery is, is a journey. It's not a destination. You know, I really learned to slow down, pace myself, and really appreciate the little things in life. Um, from there was a, a resilience. You know, once I hit rock bottom, then I was in my recovery mode because each step, in my opinion, kind of builds from the previous step. So once I was in my recovery mode, I was thinking with more clarity. I was starting to get myself back on my feet. Um, that was my period of resilience, which was, was is an amazing period. It's that period where the ability to bring back to, you know, our capacity re- to recover from difficulty. For me, this was a, a period of real empowerment. It was my time to kind of reboot myself. Um, so once I got myself resilient, back on my feet, I slowly started to kind of reinvent myself. You know, I, I had an amazing career going in New York City. Um, I'm actually going to there this upcoming weekend to celebrate a 50th birthday party of a colleague of mine. And it, it really makes me sad to say that um, friends of mine, colleagues of mine, when I left New York City, I kind of just disappeared. I kind of just fell off the face of the earth. And, you know, through social media last year, I was able to reconnect with a lot of my friends and colleagues from New York who, in the the emails and feedback I'm getting now, many of them thought I had passed away because I simply just fell off the face of the earth. Um, So, you know, this reinvention period was kind of reinventing myself, getting my feet back on the ground, at times kind of relax and start to refocus. And 
And so that's how I approach each obstacle. And I think that people, if you use those four principles, they apply to anybody in, in, in many situations. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm going um, through your, your website now. People can go to your website by going to uh, openlypause.com. Um, and I'm checking out the, the home page and I'm, I'm looking at the two pictures that you have side by side your before and after from 2007 to 2013. Right. And I have to say, that's an incredible transformation that you have right there. Thank you. Yeah, that uh, that December 2000, you know, your your uh, followers, if they check out the website, they'll see the picture that we're talking about. Um, that 2007 was really my rock bottom. I was weighing at 232. But it wasn't just the physical appearance. It was the emotional, um, the loss of my spirituality. You know, it was just like an empty shell. Um, but I have worked really hard to get myself back in shape physically, Um because I think it's important just in terms of your overall health, but even more so for people like us living with HIV and AIDS, the stronger that we can keep ourselves, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. When we have those situations where we're going to encounter a hurdle, I think we can clear them a little bit easier. But thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, it's a struggle, you know, and as I age, I'm a person aging with HIV, I'm 54. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to kind of, kind of keep yourself in some somewhat of a shape. So, but it is it is a priority for me. Well, what have you, um, you know, something that I encounter, um, and I have not been doing, you know, I'm relatively new to the to the activist world. I know Robert, um, he's been, um, you know, in this game a little bit longer than I have. So, um, and I think he's older than I am. So, I, I'm the big. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, anytime I can, any anytime I can point that out. So, for maybe our activists that are listening, or you know, we have uh, newly diagnosed that that really want to get involved. Um, and I know something that I've encountered. I'd like to get your your view on is the topic of burnout. Um, you know, sometimes we put our lives out there so much um, that. Uh, you know, sometimes we don't think about ourselves or, or maybe care for ourselves as much as what we should. So how have you encountered burnout along the way? Um, that's a very good question, and um, we all experience burnout. Um, for me, it wasn't until I got myself clean and sober. Um, God willing, Valentine's Day of this year will mark my seven-year mark of being clean and sober, so I'm really looking forward to celebrating that day. Um, but um, I'm sorry, I'm just completely blanking out on the question that you just asked me. Oh, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> Are you burning I, I really out? Learned, yeah, I'm sorry. I really learned later in life the difference between taking care of myself and being selfish. Um, you know, that people say all the time, until you take care of yourself, you can't really take care of anybody else. I've heard that, and I'm sure you've heard that. But I really do believe that. And by taking care of myself first, I don't feel like it makes me selfish. Um, you know, I have to really come first, and that's hard for all of us, both of you, I'm sure. I mean, given the, the, the type of work that you do, the careers that you have, you're always putting people in front. But, you know, at the end of the day, for me, if I don't take care of myself, I mean, I'm accountable for my own behavior. The more I put into this and in my journey, the more I'm going to get out of it. Um, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm at 100%, and there's many days that I'm not even at 80%. Um, there's some days, and I'm sure you're both going to identify that it's just hard to get up and get going. But, you know, every day that I wake up, some are more challenging than the others. Um, for me, dealing with burnout, I, I love to walk. 
I love music. I like working out. I like spending time with my friends. Um, I love, I'm new to the activism also myself, um, having launched the blog, but I love just, if, if I can help one other person, if I can reach one other person, if I can make a difference in just one other person's life, then I feel like I'm, I'm making a difference. And I get so much more out of that than I probably give. And it just kind of recharges me and motivates me to kind of keep taking care of myself and trying to make a difference. Well, I think that's something that we all kind of um, have in common, if we could just help that one person. And it's amazing. But yeah. Just sharing your story whether it be on this show or in a blog or in an interview or, um, or, or just sharing your story with, uh, you know, somebody at a clinic, just that one little bit, your story is so helpful to other people who are lost or newly diagnosed who have no, you know, concept of what's going to happen or what's next in their life. And just hearing that they're going to be okay from somebody who's gone through it is kind of, you know, the most empowering thing that you can give to somebody who's newly diagnosed. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, what you do on your radio station really empowers people. We all have different journeys. We can all share what worked for us. What works for me might not work for someone else, you know, but it's a thought. Maybe I can just try that. I mean, that's how I've learned a lot of the tools and techniques that I use to cope with things is from other people. You know, some of them absolutely will not work for me. It's just not me, but a lot of them do work for me. And I'm a huge advocate of storytelling. You know, fortunately, like yourself, I'm I'm in a situation where I can be openly positive. I wasn't until World AIDS Day of 2010. I was at a World AIDS Day event and was approached about doing a media interview, and suddenly I was thrust in front of a camera. I mean, I kind of was, you know, people, my circle of people knew my HIV status, but I was, you know, thrust in front of a camera, and the reporter said to me, well, why are you here? Why is this so important? And automatically out of my mouth came, well, you know, I've been living with HIV AIDS for I think it was like 18 years at the time. And all of a sudden, my feeling, I just got, my stomach, I got this, like, nauseous feeling. And I knew in my head, I just outed, you know, I just self-disclosed my HIV status to the entire world. And there's no going back now. You know, and, and what was tomorrow going to be like? What, what was it going to be like when I walked back into my apartment building the next day? How were people going to react to me? You know, and I got the whole range of reactions. People saying, oh, you know, I saw you on the news. I'm like... Yeah, yeah, you saw me in the news where I told people I was HIV positive, right? Just to kind of get the dialogue going. Well, it looks like we uh, have a call here, so let's go ahead and um, bring this person on. Um, area code 201, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, guys. Um, my name's Steve. Um, I want to thank you both, Rob, Aaron, and um, what you guys do. This show is wonderful. I wish I listened to it more. Um, just you know, you get wrapped up with your schedules and um, some, some, Sunday's a hard time to get home sometimes. But um, I want to um, chime in also, Rob, to, for Rob, thank you very much for sharing and storytelling. And um, as you said, mentioned, activists, uh, yes, I'm one as well. And I'm happy and hopefully, you know, for your recovery for seven years, February 14th, two, right. days, before my birth, two days before my birthday at 55. So, um you know, I think it's great what we're talking about and, and what everyone's doing. And um, I'm just curious, you know, I do a lot of reading. And, and what my activism is on, um, um, I was, I'm one of the 100 unsungs that was in the pause mag this, this December. Um, and, um Yeah, yeah no, no, totally, totally. And, 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 and uh, one, you know, I, I, I live on disability, and I've been on disability ever since my diagnosis. And I'm, I'm duly diagnosed. And, and, and. Uh, the, the, the dual diagnosis um, is that I live with bipolar disorder. 
And so I'm, you know, I'm a recent uh, fellowship recipient from SAMHSA, and that's my whole spiel. So when I listen to all the stories and everyone's um, storytelling and the radio station, Rob and Aaron, and, you know, the plethora of all of us out there and activism, it can't be any better. But, um, and so let me try to get to the question. <laughs> um, so when, when, when Rob and Aaron were starting, we were talking, one thing I heard you guys talk about, the, the new age, you know, where, wow, I can live to be 77 years old. Thank you for that. Like when I hear stuff like that, powerful. <laughs> um, but as you know, um, mental illness plays a really rough part and, um, with people with HIV. And, and I'm not saying everyone who's HIV positive is dealing with mental illness, but the statistics out there are like one in five. <laughs> and maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't, and do you have any, anything that you'd like to chime in on, on that, that kind of topic about, you know, you know, you, you know, you talk about, about, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to slow down. Um, what I'm trying to say is, can you chime in about, um, you know, my recovery and everyone's recovery is different, but what about people who are on SSDI, the ones that, um, I do work, I do have a part-time job, but what about us that don't and, and your four R's and how does that play a part into people that may not have full, um, you know, that are working full-time and aren't in society full-time, that they're not fully socially included. Do you, have, do you guys have any comments on that? I could talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm also permanently disabled and do not work full-time. Um, this, my physical health will not allow that. Um, and I think that's in large part what accounted for my downward spiral. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I try to keep myself involved um, through my, what it was at that time was my local aid service organization, but now in terms of the statewide consumer advisory board um, and my blog. Um, so those are the ways that I try to keep myself busy. And I absolutely agree with you 100% that mental health overall, not just in terms of HIV AIDS, what we're talking about HIV AIDS tonight is really an under-addressed issue in this country. Um, and that more needs to be put into that, not, you know, financial resources, educational resources. Um, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Yes, and I want to thank Steve for uh, calling in and for listening. Uh, we'll be here. And actually, I think it would be great, Aaron, that if maybe we did a show um, coming up on, um, you know, on uh, – what he was speaking about on HIV and, um, you know, and the mental toll that it takes on those living with HIV and people with mental you know, disabilities. I think it would be important, oh, and that's a topic that we haven't covered yet. Definitely. It's, it's, it's certainly, yeah. you know, it's, it's also a very interesting um, conversation to have be had, too, because if we think, you know, Rob, when you were first diagnosed, or, or even Robert, when you were, you were first diagnosed, Things were a lot different in the regards of, you know, by the time a person was diagnosed, they had most likely progressed, um, you know, their, their immune system had been deteriorated and they were already into an AIDS diagnosis. And so, you know, a person would go on to SSI uh, relatively quickly. Um, uh, but today that's not the case. So no. when a person um, is diagnosed, um, they're expected to go right back to work. I mean, if they're fortunate enough to have a job where they can take time off or, you know, I, I tell people that are newly diagnosed all the time, don't alter your schedule. Um, that's going to give you the best chance of, of you know, overcoming this thing. It's when people, um, uh, you know, start isolating themselves and start, you know, I, I say, you know, start feeling sorry for yourself. 
um, because we all can and we all do it. We, you know, I have a friend that jokes that he has, you know, those HIV days or those AIDS days where he just doesn't feel like doing anything and he doesn't want to. Um, but we really have to fight every day. Um, and I know, Rob, you had mentioned something that there's days you maybe only feel like 80% of who you are or less. Right. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'm sorry. I totally agree with you, Aaron, because that um, when I had to go out of work on disability, that was the turning point for me. That was, you know, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, that was the beginning of my downward spiral because not only did I lose my sense of professional identity, but suddenly I didn't have the structure and the routine that I had in my life every day. You know, and it was kind of nice, I have to admit, in the beginning because after working 20-plus years to have a couple weeks or months off, but then, you know, one day blended into the next. I didn't know what day it was, what week it was, what time of the day it was. Absolutely was isolating. And that just, for me, led to some dangerous behaviors and some, you know, really took a toll on my health. So I, I absolutely encourage people to stay involved, you know, stick with your routine. You're absolutely right, 100%. And the, the other aspect, too, is that what makes substance abuse, and actually today is my two-year uh, birthday um, clean from uh, Crystal Meth. So, Congratulations, Adam. Uh, thank you. The, um, the, you know, the one issue that, that substance abuse and mental health both really play a huge issue on why it's so difficult for people living with HIV. Not only does it replicate the virus and things like that, but it has a huge effect on compliance and adherence of medications and of other, um, uh, other you know, us being invested in our own health. So, Robert, obviously, as we've seen, this is a, that we need to chalk that one up. We need to do a whole episode on that. So, Yeah. Yeah, that was really dangerous behavior for me was the alcohol because, first of all, alcohol affects your liver. Liver metabolizes all your medications. Uh, when I was at my worst, I was rushed to the emergency room with a blood alcohol level of 3.0. My first, wow. um, yeah, my first uh, liver biopsy was a grade 3, stage 3, which meant next was grade 4, which meant next was cirrhosis. Um, I'm happy to report that a subsequent liver biopsy was grade 2, stage 1. Fortunately, the liver can regenerate itself. Um, you know, but that's a, that's a journey in and of itself, recovery. But, you know, you can do it. And, you know, people can do it. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm anyone special. People I know who are in recovery, it's just it's that readiness. Yeah, something a lot of uh, those diagnosed struggle with is, is, mm-hmm. is re- recovery as well, you know, from drug addiction or, or alcoholism. Uh, it's something that I know I've dealt with, and, you know, Aaron just spoke about it. It's, it's, a, it's a common thread in a lot of our stories. Definitely. That's so, why these, you know, uh, your, your site is great for support. Sorry. Well, thanks. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, you know, it, it's so important to have the support of your family, and, you know, it's, it's a great thing that you had that. Um, what was it like when you told your family? Yeah, I remember this day as clear as, as um, I have some of my family. I don't have all of my family on board. Right. You know, when, you know um, but I have the majority of them. Um, I remember that the, the summer, the, when I found out I was HIV positive in 93, um, my dad had passed away. Um, so I wasn't able to tell him. Um, and I knew when I was diagnosed that I couldn't do this by myself. You know, I just, I, I think it's important to have support, whatever your support network is. Um, and I needed to tell my family. 
And my biggest concern when I was going to self-disclose to my family was that I would say the word HIV. Now, remember, we got a flashback to 1993, that I would mm-hmm. say the word HIV, and they, particularly my mom, would hear the word AIDS. Um, right. So I went home to tell them, and fortunately it was bad timing. It was my younger sister who's like my number one supporter. Um, it was her 30th birthday. Um, I kind of met with my siblings on the side, and then we went, decided we would go to my mom's house as a group where I would disclose this. And my mother just really, she just never ceases to amaze me. I mean, she is, if not as educated on HIV, if not more so, constantly telling me things. And did you read this? Did you hear that? But I remember that day where she said, okay, well, you know, HIV, it's not the same thing as AIDS. So, you know, we, I had that conversation, and then it was just a matter of, you know, us getting on board with this. And I think it's important, like, when you reach out for support, that I'm, I always suggest to people that those people in turn need support. Like, how selfish is it, is it of me to just want you guys to support me, but I don't really care if you have support. It's kind of like you throw the rock in the, in the water and it kind of ripples. And I think that support needs to extend that way also. Um, you know, I have one sibling who, who doesn't talk to me, probably will never talk to me. Um, I go to a therapist every two weeks to deal with a lot of issues, and I kind of work through that. I let it go because at the end of the day, it was weighing me down. You know, I was the one that was up at night talking and turning. So, um, and family doesn't necessarily mean it's your blood family for me. All right. Well, what, what is it that keeps you going or that keeps you, you know, because there's a, a lot of people who are, are diagnosed who you know, may think that they may not be able to handle that, you know, um, all, all the things that you are able to do. Yeah, I, I, again, you know, I don't want to make it sound like everything's peachy and, you know, rosy every single day, but, you know, the little things in life are what keeps me going now. When, you know, it's freezing cold up here, I'm sure you understand, Robert, in the Northeast. I mean, we just got a Nor'easter blowing yeah. through. But, you know, when I feel the cold air on my skin or I feel the rain on my skin when I'm out walking or I feel snow on my skin, I really appreciate those things. Um, it's the little things in life that keep me going now, spending time with family and friends, trying to make a difference. Um, I'm a huge, you know, advocate of support, whether it's your, your, your close support group or, I, like I said, I first can go to a therapist. Um, but those are really what keeps me going. And I just have a zest for life. You know, I, I think when... For me, when I was diagnosed HIV positive, it kind of was like a reset button for me. It was kind of like where I really started to look at things differently. Like, because back then, again, I was told I had six years to live. I was only 33 years old. That meant, you know, I was going to be pretty much deceased by I was 39. Um, but it's, it's those little things in life, just uh, an appreciation. Like I said, every day I wake up, it's a good day. Some days are more challenging than others. But, you know, we get through them and we try to move on. And, and it's you okay you're in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, yeah, Western Mass. Um, so how far are you from Boston? Um, 84 miles. 84 miles. That's right. No, I have a friend who lives in Boston, and I'm actually coming up there in June. The plan is to actually do the Boston AIDS walk with her. Oh, great. Let me know. Uh, yeah, she just moved. So maybe um, there's a possibility maybe we could meet up. I was just curious how close you were and to what actual the resources were around you. Um. In terms of Western Mass, we have, yeah. um, well, there's AIDS Foundation of Western Mass, and then in Northampton, there's a positive place. 
Um, there's also Brightwood Health Center, which offers services to people living with HIV. I get my services through the Research Institute, um, which is also where I started a, a support group for a peer-led support group for men living with HIV with two weeks once a month. Boston, many more resources. I absolutely can connect with you in Boston because I'm there a couple times a month for the Statewide Consumer Advisory Board. Um, Western Mass, from from the perspective of Eastern Mass, people think that Worcester, which is Central Mass, is Western Mass. So forget about Springfield. We're kind of off the map in terms of funding, especially for HIV/AIDS. Um, but there's many, many more services, and I'm sure, you like when you live in a, a major metropolitan city, there's many more services available to you. That's true. That's true. I mean, I live yeah. outside of Philadelphia, and there's there's a lot more, um, you know. Uh, what do you want to call the services in the city than there is actually out in the burbs where I am. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, Aaron, you're in St. Louis, right? So you kind of are right in the heart of it all, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we we I would say we have, you know, we have we have good services. I mean, I, like most places, there 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 could be better services, and obviously housing and things like that. That's always going to be an issue for for I think any city and state. You know, one thing I'd like to just mention on that is, like, for people like us who live in maybe not big metropolitan cities, if they're, like, like I identified for, there were no support groups for men living with HIV here when I moved here, even up until two years ago. And, you know, in a conversation with my HIV provider, Dr. Claudia Margarell, you know, I offered to start one. So my message to people living in remote areas or social media is amazing in terms of connecting with people, but something you know there was our group didn't exist two years ago um, and now we have about 10 steady members that come every month so if there, if you identify a need in your area you know and you're in a situation where you can get somebody a, a provider or you know another a peer or something then start something you know we can we can make a difference that way also you know the guys in my group look forward to coming into it every month you know it's just a bunch of guys sitting around we have pizza and we just kind of catch up and support each other so you know, we we can make that difference also. We don't need to sit around and wait for anybody to do it for us. That's true. Have you had any backlash being openly paused? Um, the only, not, no. Honestly, I haven't. Where I find some stigma and discrimination, um, which really affects me is in two places, in terms of social networking sites, um, in terms of, like, dating sites in particular, where the language that people use, particularly things like DDF, drug and disease-free, I find that very offensive in that um, basically the way I interpreted that is that I'm dirty. Um, right. so I think some language that we need to use in social networking sites um, definitely needs to be addressed. That's a little bit more sensitive um, and doesn't really raise stigma and discrimination. And then the other place that I find um, stigma affects me personally is even on my blog, on, on my Facebook page, um, I have like, you know, 200 and, you know, a, a few 200 some odd followers, which is, is great, but I reach, you know, five, 600 people a hit. So I know several people in my area per se who are HIV positive, but they're not open about their status. So they don't necessarily, like the page, but they don't want to like the page because they don't want that right. connection on their page. So I see stigma discrimination very real through social media, 
and the social networking sites. And then I think that's a conversation in open forums that we need to talk about a little bit more also. Especially yeah, no, I totally agree. I see that in there too. Now, my question yeah. to you is, is a, lot, a lot of people ask about, you know, like uh, the dating the drug and disease free and things like that and, and, you know, using the word clean and dirty. Um, oh, yeah. Were those things that you ever used before you became positive? Like, were they, were, did they bother you before, or was it just kind of one of those things that you kind of accepted? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I never really bothered me before. You know, I remember when I was first diagnosed, I was living in New York City, and they, you know, they had these, it was an organization called Body Positive, and they had these dances every Sunday afternoon which were supposed to be pretty much positive people. But, you know, looking back on it, it was not like we had a membership card or anything that we walked in. But I remember telling my mom about those, you know, oh, this is a place I can meet somebody, I can date somebody. And I remember my mom saying, why would you want to limit yourself like that in terms of if someone's going to love you, they're going to love you regardless of your HIV status. We all have an HIV status, whether it's a positive or negative. We all have one. Um, so, that, I mean, that's pretty much that on that subject. No, that's, that's great. We're actually winding down to the last couple of minutes. So, um, you know, usually uh, end the show uh, with a, a similar question. So I, my question to you would be is what would you say to uh, a, a newly diagnosed <clears throat> uh, person who maybe you may run across to maybe in his 50s, you know, and, and maybe thinking that, you know, it may be the end of maybe his sex life or, or he's just scared. What, what would you say to that person, um, you know, who, who's newly diagnosed in their, in their 50s? Well, first of all, by the year 2015, it's predicted that greater than 50% of the people living with HIV are going to be in their 50s. Um, mm. So I would say to that person to, you know, enjoy your – I mean, first of all, that you're not alone. To, there is support available. Um, there are treatment plans available, and that you can have a full, healthy sex life. Um, you just need to take the right precautions, you know, and have the conversations um, and really take care of yourself. I mean, you know, like I often forgot early on that, you know, I was more at risk um, of having unprotected sex myself because I was immunocompromised. So, you know, my advice is, you know, to get tested, to know your status. If you're negative, try to stay negative. If you're positive, get into treatment early. You gave some amazing statistics at the opening, at the beginning of the show. Um, and to, to kind of just get out there and do your thing and enjoy life and, and appreciate it. Cool. Well, there you go. Well, Rob Quinn, thank you so much for joining us this evening. People can go to your website, uh, openlypause.com, and they can also follow you on Twitter at openlypause. Um, is there anywhere else people can find you? Yeah, on Facebook also, openlypause, and on Instagram, openlypause. I would really appreciate that. I, I love the support. I love sharing, and I love getting information and, and support from other people. Thank you so cool. much for having me. This is a great opportunity. I really, really appreciate it a lot. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Have a great night. Thanks, Rob. All right, you two guys. Take care. Good night. All right, there's our first show of 2014. Now we wrapped it up pretty good. Uh, I think having Rob on was, uh, was awesome. Uh, people, again, go to his website, openlypause.com. Aaron, where can people find you? Uh, Aaron Laxton on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, My HIV Journey on YouTube. Okay, and how about you, you Robert? Information. 
uh, more information on me and uh, the show and past things during the Pazi and Social Network, uh, org. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Wish everybody a happy new year, and we will see you next week. Right, Aaron? Yep. Talk to you next week. All right. Have a great night, everybody. This has been another broadcast of Pause. I am Pause 2.0. It's a brand new format, 90 minutes, brought to you each Sunday, where we cover gossip, entertainment, policy, politics, you name it. If it's important to you, if it's important to the HIV community, we will talk about it. And if you don't hear something that you want to be talked about, shoot us a message. Hit us up on Facebook. Robert Brining, Aaron Matthew Laxton, and also Pause I Am Radio. Be sure to like that. And if you haven't done so yet, check out pauseim.org. That's pauseim.org. We're in this thing together, and we will be here until the end, until a cure is found, to be pointing out injustices, to be pointing out stigma, to highlight people who are doing the right thing each and every day, to highlight people who are not letting HIV dominate their lives, ruin their lives. This is your 90-minute dose of hope. But we want each one of you not to stop believing. Keep coming back. Keep listening. So next week, this is Aaron Laxton. For Robert Brining, signing off. Good evening.